All right. Welcome to episode one, classroom 21. All right, we're now in the classroom with Antonio and Ken. All right, all right. Here we are, man. Here we are on on, on number one, the maiden voyage. The maiden 21. <laughs> we set and sail off into social work field. That's right. That's right. So there's no telling where this adventure is going to lead. Uh, we're just we're setting the ship out right now and uh no telling hopefully it won't sink hopefully it'll just keep on going and uh, we'll <laughs> see see how far it goes let's see if we can make it to episode 10 <laughs> yep that, that's a good that's a good first goal so, okay yeah we're gonna set it out just like they do in the sitcom world you know when they they come in and give you so many episodes i feel like since these are free we can at least make it episode 10 you know so yeah I, I think so i think we can handle that you know, we'll yeah, uh, have some have some guests before, but for right now, I guess we're just just going to be me and you, and we're going to introduce ourselves to everybody and talk a little bit about what got us to where we're at and um, why we chose to do what we're doing. Exactly. Okay. So uh, Antonio here. I, I go and give uh, everything Antonio quiet here. All um, right. Uh, you go right ahead. Yeah, jumping right in, all the way into it, Ken. I ain't gonna hide. I ain't gonna hide nothing from nobody. <laughs> the whole name, the whole name, Ken. The whole name. <laughs> but anyway, okay, I, yeah, Tony O'Client, uh, social work student in grad school right now. Uh, my field of expertise going into uh, should be uh, life skills. Uh, using life skills as a way of rehabilitation from not just little kids, but all the way through to adulthood. Uh, we tend to think of life skills as things like budgeting money, uh, moving out, getting a job, and things of this nature. But uh, if we utilize it through transactional therapy, and, and we'll get more into tr- transactional therapy as we go along with the episodes to kind of understand. Uh, transactional therapy says there are certain scripts that run through our lives. And these scripts could be anything from uh, I'm a superstar to uh, I don't feel uh, worthy or whatever, you know? So uh, life skills, we're bringing those things out. We reach the kid or the adult where they are in life. Everybody's not going to be on the same level. So we reach them where they are. So once we realize what those scripts are, then we take those scripts and we try to funnel those through a particular um, theory. And the theory I like to use is choice theory and social learning theories. These are the two most prevalent with teenagers and early adults. Um, and again, we'll get more and more into that and I'll bring more and more uh, stuff to support what I'm saying. So. Uh, choice theory is pretty much the choices that we make. I ch- I make I make this choice, therefore I get I got this particular outcome. Social learning mm-hmm. is more or less I'm learning from someone else. I seen you make good choices, maybe I can make good choices. Or I seen you make negative choices, so I'm gonna make negative. <laughs> and using life. Well, hey, really quick, really quick, Antonio, let me cut you up before you get further. It's on my end. You're uh, kind of cutting in and out a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, if that's. You're, uh, that's the, the phone keep popping in and out. Okay, you yeah, know, it's like a little bit of an echo, so I don't know if that's going to come through in the final recording or not. Well, we'll figure, we'll try to figure that part out okay. in the final recording. I don't think All it right. would. So, and, but and I, before, hey, before you before you get too deep into that, could you uh, share with everybody what 
why it is that that you're doing what you're doing. What um can you share a little bit about your life or what you know what what got you to this point, man? What motivated you? Oh well, uh, okay. The biggest motivation was uh, well, I guess there was a, a lot, but the biggest one I can say is that uh, growing up we didn't have a whole lot, you know, but we made do with what we had, you know. So uh, and. Growing up back then, I would say like in the 80s, uh, I think parents, they taught their kids what they knew and what what they knew they tried to teach really, really well. You know, so my mother knew how to work. So she taught us how to work really, really well. You know, uh, my uncle, you know, uh, I know he he knew how to take care of a home. So he taught you how to take care of a home, you know, really, really well, you know, and and coming on up, you know, I learned how to work and I learned how to, you know, repair stuff in the home. But that was some other things that I missed, you know, uh, and I'll share those those stories, you know, about trying to find an address, you know, when I was first moving out. But uh, when I was working in a youth uh, facility, I was uh, tasked. I had a I was like a teacher's assistant. And uh, during that time, they was like, OK, well, teach uh, this one kid. He had already had his GED. So there was no need for him to take high school curriculum because technically he had graduated. So they was like, well, the next progression in the facility was life skills. And it was old raggedy little book. The thing was out of tune, out of everything, out of date, out of this, out of everything. So in trying to teach him, you know, life skills, I realized that these boys was missing a lot of stuff. He had graduated high school but he had no concept of how to move out of the house. So I want to move out. Every kid, 16, 17 years old, mm-hmm. I want to move out. No concept how to move out of the home. So I was teaching him how to do that. Then the other other kids was like, hey, that sounds pretty interesting. You know, what are you guys talking about? And then so from, from just uh, working with him, I ended up working with over 22 boys and developed an entire curriculum based solely based on life skills. And that's where we was able to find kids who had different diagnoses. We had one kid in the classroom that had been completely misdiagnosed uh, with uh, a particular disorder and come to find out he just had a processing disorder. So once we figured that out, then we figured out how to treat him more effectively. So uh, from working in that program, we actually got to working with the therapists a little bit more closer. They wanted to have a little bit more insight as to what we was actually doing with the life skills. So as we told them what was going on, they came down to the classroom. So then they were starting to base some of their therapies, uh, their sessions on what the kids was actually going through in life skills. So Mm. we were able to tie life skills to their therapy to a lot of other different areas. You know, it went way deep. We went we went from just learning how to move out to why we're moving out. Why do you want to move out? How are you going to sustain yourself? Do you know how to go grocery shopping? And in doing all of these things, that's when the group light therapy come about as to, uh, well, I don't feel like I can do this because, you know, and the other kids felt like, wow, man, you know what? I can't wait to move out because now I feel like I can actually, you know, sustain myself on my own. How can I use this in regular life? So that was yeah. the other inspiration that got me because I was like it's crazy that these kids that me and you think it would be basic to say hey Ken can you feel this check out sure but to the mm-hmm. kid that never seen a check in his whole entire life 
it's nerve wracking to them. And then a, a kid that's actually going through a particular mental uh, disorder, it could be even more nerve wracking. It could induce anxiety. And then all of a sudden they get traumatized over something that happened to them when they was five. You know, so yeah. So those are the two I think like biggest inspirations. Um, there were so many skills that my mother taught me that I had not even thought about until I started going through teaching somebody else these life skills. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. I never even thought about that. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, I'm teaching somebody else how to do something with, with life skills. So yeah, that was the, the biggest thing, you know? So that was the biggest thing for me as far as like the inspiration coming through with the, uh, with the uh, therapies and the rehabilitation and the particular theories that I use and I write about on a you know regular basis you know so uh, I'm pretty sure most of the class is probably tired of hearing about life skills but that's what I write about <laughs> well that, that, that's interesting because I know you and I have had had a lot of conversations but I have a feeling we're going to learn a lot more about it. there's probably I, I know there's a lot we don't know about each other because you know we haven't had a chance to have these kind of in-depth conversations outside of class but um, I like the way you're tying the things together there because it's, kids have a tendency to compartmentalize, you know, what they have in their lives. You know, like there's this and here, here and you learn something in, in another area. And, but the way you're taking these life skills and tying it into the therapy and kind of bringing it all together, I, I think I, I could see that being really beneficial to you know, this, this life skills isn't just something you learned for whatever period of time, whatever day of the week or whatever it was. This is something that you know, as a part of what they have going on in their day-to-day life and, you know, with their therapy and the other their groups. And so it makes a lot. And so how long ago was that? So how, uh, how long have you been doing that now? Oh, wow. Uh, teaching life skills? Mm-hmm. Uh, effectively since 2013. Okay. So 2013. Uh, using it as a rehabilitation tool since uh, 2016. I used it in uh, substance abuse. Uh, Let me me rewind. I used it with substance abusers while working at an adult facility. And uh, we had a a caseload. I was on the uh, crisis team and we had a particular caseload we had to keep track of. And I used it uh, with them as a uh, rehabilitation tool to try to teach them, okay, well, these are the different uh, aspects we can get into if we can learn to control our urges with uh, substance abuse and of course life skills changes a little bit with adults you know instead of saying yeah. most adults are already out of the home so instead of saying you know how do you move out of the home we started teaching how to effectively remain in a positive home or environment so uh, most mm-hmm. of the time I try to use the term positive environment because not every substance abuser or every person that goes through uh, a facility will be able to go on and buy or purchase a home or get an apartment. Some are going to have to go yeah. back to like a transition home or live with a relative. So I try to say, how do we maintain a positive environment? And that's better than saying, how do you maintain a positive home? Because again, you know, even if, because they're adults and just because they've overcome something doesn't mean they can't be triggered. So if you, you know, say something home that could trigger something then we could have a setback. So I found out that if I have a positive environment, it's 
It doesn't trigger anything. And then they start thinking, oh, well, my environment can be any place that I am versus I don't have to say, well, let me go back to so-and-so home where that seems to be the only person that will take me in. So uh, so I, I, I use it as that. That's what I use it at the most since uh, 2006. That's really good. You know, that's really interesting. I don't. I wouldn't have never thought of the word home um, as having that kind of connotation, but it makes sense that there are people that would have uh, have issues just with that with that word. I can see because maybe the home environment they were raised in, or the situations that they've been in the past, and there might be a a certain connotation they have with the word. And so, even though you might still be talking about home, yeah, if you just use the word environment. It doesn't necessarily uh, subconsciously tie these ideas to anything that they've experienced in the past. Exactly. You know, most of them ask the question, well, what kind of environment are you talking about? And I go, what kind of environment do you want to be in? And that's only the the light bulb moment. They'll say, okay, well, like you said, I never thought about that. But what kind of environment do I want to be in? You know, so then they start thinking, well, I don't necessarily have to go back to that particular place i can go to some other place that i can call home so you know and and, and then that kind of leads into what me and you talked about uh the last few times so i know i hogged up a lot of time <laughs> so now you get to the people right. and tell the people a, a little bit about uh ken all right all right I'm like ken obera uh, friends call me ken or kenny um and uh so yeah my I don't think I, I have quite as much experience as you do right now in the social work field. I'm still fairly new to this and uh, still learning. Um, I have done, as far as uh, jobs, I've, well, I'm, I'm 45 now and I've had just about every job imaginable at some point in the past, it seems like. Um, I've worked in uh, everything from construction to, you know, factory work to, uh, being a security guard, I've I've got a CDL. I've been an over the road truck driver. Um, so it's a uh, I've got just about the worst work history of anybody you've met. But I feel like um, you know if if you approach if you look at yourself objectively, sometimes you can you can take your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. And in some sense, you know that kind of a work history could be seen as a weakness. But I uh, I think I could use it as an advantage because I have. Um, the experiences that I've had in my life has given me a unique perspective, I feel like, into uh, different people. I've been in so many different positions and, and, and had these different jobs that I'm able to sometimes um, see things from, it's helped me, I feel like, seeing things from a different perspective um, because there's so many perspectives that I've seen the world from that I can even, I feel like it's helped me to be able to kind of put myself into somebody else's shoes and understand their perspective a little bit better, even if I have never been in their shoes, even if I've never seen the world through that person's eyes. You know, I've, I've had enough practice kind of doing different things and, and seeing things a different way that I feel like it's really helped me. Um, so I, my, my um, path, I guess, kind of into this field, the social work field, I would say goes back to, um, let me try to interject one moment here. What? Okay. Uh, when you say your work history, you say it's like the worst work history, but uh, I think your work history actually helps you more 
in the social work field because you're actually talking to everyday people and everyday oh, people, yeah, yeah. you know, don't have professional degrees or jobs. And I mean, you there are some people who are going to walk into a treatment center and they may be a doctor or, you know, having a professional job and degree or whatever, you know, whatever they consider to be professional jobs and degrees. But the large majority of the people that are going to come in seeking some type of advice or looking for help or buying a self-help book or whatever are going to be people, you know, who are right in the working class of America, you know, and that oh, workforce. Yeah. And I think your job history plays into that because then the first thing you can say is if I've had a job like that before, you know. That's okay. right. Yeah, yeah, I said that kind of jokingly. Yeah, when I said you know, the worst quote unquote work history, that was kind of tongue in cheek because um yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think I think it is a actually an advantage for me. Um but you know when you go to fill out a resume, you know, if you've had if you've had 40 different jobs that you've all worked at for a year to a year and a half or whatever, uh, employers usually don't like that kind of a work history. But um, yeah, I guess what I was saying, I think for me, I see it as a strength at this point in my life. And um, yeah, I'm able to, to yeah, kind of relate to people, I feel like, um, to a certain degree. And um, so, yeah, I, I came to a point, actually, and, you know, I'm a father. I've, I've raised a couple of kids. My, uh, my, I've got two sons of my own and a stepson uh, my younger son and my stepson are both 16 my oldest son is 21 now and uh, when my oldest son was about oh, 14 15 he um he had some pretty serious um issues that he was working through um his his mother and i had split up when he was still very before his second birthday so most of his childhood, I raised him by myself. I was a single father. It was just me and my son. And we, uh, you know, we got along great. Like we were inseparable. We, we hung out together and did everything together. And, you know, it was just all peaches and cream, like for most of the time, you know, for the most part until he got to be a teenager and, um, did have some issues, um, had some, started developing some depression and up to that point in his life. I had um, always kind of felt like I knew what to do for my for my child. You know, I was kind of felt like I knew the best things for him. And for the first time in my life, I was in a position where I just I had no idea what to do, um, and I didn't have the answers for this one. And I knew really nothing about counseling or therapy. I didn't really know anything at all about social work. I would, you know, fortunately, I'd never had a need for that when I was growing up. Um, so for him, I had to find a therapist. And so we found, found a really, really good therapist. And she made a world of difference in his life. It was, it was amazing that what she was able to do to help him you know, in a way that I wasn't able to. And so that kind of gave me um, a good lesson in you know, therapy. Because to be honest, before that, I was a little bit distrustful of quote unquote therapists, you know, because I really didn't know what it was about. And I'm thinking like, I don't want somebody talking to my kid getting in his head and you know who knows i mean we're talking privately i don't know what they're going to be telling him so yeah i had i was very very naive about this and um so with with our work with her i was able to see the benefits uh that counseling and therapy can have for someone who's having you know any kind of psychological emotional problems um and so that about that time it's been several years ago now i'd 
kind of thought about going back to school and I'd put it off for a long time. I kind of made the decision that when I made the decision to do it, I was thinking, well, I need to find something I'm interested in. And I'd always been interested in psychology. So I was like, well, that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in. I think I'd, I'd like to pursue that. So I, I went back to school and I got my got bachelor's degree in psychology. And um, it was, I was in my sophomore year and I was talking to a, uh, to a, a school counselor trying to figure out what I wanted to do as far as long-term plans. And uh, this, this story always kind of makes me laugh now because, so we went to her office and talked for a little bit and she asked me about what you know, weaknesses and the things that I'm passionate about and that I care about. And so, you know, after we talked for a little while, she looked at me and said, you know what, I think social work would be a good fit for you. And it's funny now, because I'm embarrassed to say I knew so little about social work. The, the first thing that popped in my mind is the people that, that go and take people's kids away from them. You know what I mean? I was so, so, yeah, that's what I mean. A lot of people have that misconception. So, yeah, as soon as she said that, I mean, without a second's hesitation, I just I shook my head. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> she she kind of chuckled. Luckily, she 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 knew where I was coming from. Like, so she kind of chuckled and said, "I have a feeling there's a lot more to this than you know." I'm like, "Okay, well, tell me about it." And like, so she started laying it out and explaining all the different careers that that fall within the field of social work. And I was blown away. I had, I really had no idea. Um, so yeah, we talked about that for a while, and the more that you know as i got closer to graduation um i really started feeling like this this is what i want to do um because i do have uh um, i guess a heart and desire to help people and i really enjoy the uh like the, the psychological aspect of it as far as like helping people like the, the counseling and kind of helping people to uh you know work through things and you know get their thoughts in order and and try to help people work through things the same way I guess that the, the therapist that I found for my son helped him in a way that I couldn't do it and uh, I always kind of felt like I'd like to be able to be that person for someone else in my life and so graduate I yeah, applied for the uh, the program that we're in now and it's yeah here I am a, a year later um, and I'm in this program and I've started uh, working for for an agency my first job I've had it's been uh, about nine months now I've been in my first job in the social work field working in what we call it intensive case management um, so I get to work with people with um, severe and persistent mental illness um, people who and usually the people who come to us in ICM they call it um, because there is the, the regular case management and then there's the team of the ICM team the intensive case management and what we do is not intended to be long term because usually the people that refer to ICM are at a really low point in their life. Like they, they, they've come out of some kind of crisis situation, you know, they've been to the CSU or, you know, maybe they've, they've come out of jail and, or they've come out of prison and they're homeless. And so most of the people that we deal with when they come in, a lot of them are homeless. A lot of them have really are, are, are still dealing with, with severe symptoms of their uh, mental illness that they have. Um, I have several people um, on my caseload with severe schizophrenia and um, it's really it's 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 very very interesting it's it's sad it's tragic really um, because before this I'd never 
I had no experience in this. You know, I thought I had seen it all in my life, but um, I, it's now I know there's, yeah, I had no idea. There, there's people that, that suffer with things that most people couldn't even imagine. And um, so it is really, really difficult and it's really hard, but I love being able to help people. I love being able to kind of help people learn. And, and part of it is like what you're talking about with life skills, because a lot of these people, if they've if they've grown up in a situation a lot of have like they've never really learned how to be independent um so a lot of these people come into the program and a lot of part of my job a large portion of my responsibilities are to help teach people how to be independent like how to connect to where resources are how to either if if they're able to work i I help them find employment you know if they can work part-time or whatever you know to be self-sufficient um if they can't work at all or maybe they can work a little bit you know i help them apply for disability so they can get the assistance they need to be able to to live on their own um we apply for housing and see if they're eligible for for assisted housing programs or if they're able to work or get disability and pay for housing on their own um and we we help people with budgeting and uh everything all all the way down to like grocery shopping because there's a lot of these people who've never even went to a grocery store and and done their own grocery shopping so there's a lot of that and then so there's that part and then the other part of our job is what they call psychosocial rehabilitation where we get to work with people as far as teaching coping strategies and um, helping to implement the the treatment plan that the therapists have have developed with them. And that part is really, it's probably my favorite part, really. I really enjoy um, helping people to find the things in their lives that they weren't aware of. Um, A large part of my job is just talking to people finding the things they care about finding things that they like to do finding they're asking about their talents because there's a lot of people that have these these coping strategies you know they can they can pull out in a time of crisis that they're not even aware of um there's people that you know they especially if they have any kind of artistic um talent um if they like to draw or, or paint or something like that they might you know they might do that every now and then and love it and and never think of that as something that they can pull out in a time where they need it. You know, if they're, if they're on the verge of an anxiety attack or they're sinking into depression or something that's, you know, they, they might've never thought that, okay, you know, I really, every time I I paint, I feel better, you know, so they can pull these things out, you know, they have this toolbox of things. And um, so little by little, you know, when you help people develop coping strategies, they learn, you know, on the one hand, you know, they, you, you teach them how to be self-sufficient um, as far as their physical needs. And the other hand, you help teach people how to be self-sufficient as far as their coping strategies and identifying warning signs. And so at a certain point, they kind of, you, they can be self-sufficient as far as identifying the things that are warning signs for them. Like, so, so they kind of, before they reach a crisis situation, they find the things that kind of are little signals to them that okay when when this happens this is what happens before things go really bad for me and then you can work on coping strategies and help them find a a develop a network of people that they can they can refer to when they when they really need help um, so overall it's it's really really great it's really it's very difficult it's actually far more difficult than i ever even thought it was Um, and i have a whole new respect for 
all people within the social work field now. Because <laughs> I have a feeling there's a lot of people that were just like me that have no idea what social work is and what it entails. And they have no idea how difficult it is. And um, it can be, in some ways, this is the hardest job I've ever had, but um, it's definitely the most rewarding. Um, when when things are bad, it, it's, it's terrible. But when things are good, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing to... Uh, have those little glimpses of uh, of light in, at the end of the tunnel when you get to help people and 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 get to get to watch people develop and become more independent and, and learn how to cope with whatever they have and um, so it's great yes yeah, so here I am now and I'm learning and I'm hoping that this podcast will be an opportunity for for you and I and our classmates whoever else comes in with us to have some interesting discussions and and learn a lot from each other and uh, maybe anybody else who listens to us can learn right along with us i certainly do uh hope that they do uh learn something right along with us because like i say you know we'll be introducing a lot of new people uh to the podcast and to the social work world from a very different perspective than what most people have ever even thought about uh most all of us are students in some kind of way but there are some people who are already actively working as therapists that will be uh, introduced to the show and they'll come in and give their insight uh, and how we can navigate through uh, this this whole social media type thing that seems to take over the teenage lives and even adult lives and then we'll go tackle some very controversial issues uh, as the show go on but we will always try to keep them on the social work level because these are the things that walk into the office. You know, these are the things yes. that lead us, you know, as we're working in our everyday lives. Uh, Ken talked about him being an ICM manager or ICM case manager, uh, which is intensive case management. But then you also used another abbreviation, which was CSU. So everybody that's listening to us may not know what a CSU uh, yeah. is. <laughs> so, so I know yep, what yep. CSU is. So <laughs> you brought it up, Ken. So yeah, that's a good that's a good point. That's a good point because I've already in my my very limited uh, tenure in the social work field started to pick up on some of the lingo. So yeah, the, the CSU is the Crisis Stabilization Unit. Yeah, um, and we do have a hospital in Wake Cross where I live here. Um, and most most cities, you know, any size, you know, really have you know some kind of a, uh, a hospital where people can go if they. Um, well basically as the name implies it's crisis stabilization um some of the people that go in there um have had suicide attempts um some people have had uh just a nervous breakdown of some sort like some people are just in severe depression they might not have had a suicide attempt yet but like they've they've got to the point to really suicide um a lot of it substance abuse unfortunately is a big part of it and uh the, the substance abuse and mental illness oftentimes go hand in hand a lot. Um, unfortunately, they, they kind of exacerbate each other. And, um, so you do have a lot of times people with mental illness also have substance abuse issues. And you know, people who have substance abuse issues often, you know, you'll, you'll see mental illness in there as well. So those things kind of go hand in hand. And when people get to a point where they, where, um, I guess you could just say that the things have gotten out of control where their their life in general has become unmanageable and they they need some around the clock help the uh the stays there it's usually about a week um 
most people stay at the, at the, the CSU for three to seven days, um, just long enough to, to become stabilized. Like they usually, the, there's, there's a team of doctors and therapists that, that talk to them every day and they get to have groups and they, um, so they, the doctors work with the medication and try to try to get them on medication to help them get stable. And the combination of, of the medicine and therapy you know, kind of just gets them to a point where they're able to be stable enough to, you know, to where they're safe. Because the most important thing, the bottom line for everything we do is, is safety of people. So um, as long as you can get an individual to the point where they're not an immediate threat to themselves or anybody else, then you can you can start to work from there and, and start to make progress. All right. So, now, we're not going to push one uh, CSU over the other. Uh, that would be unfair to all the CSUs hanging around in the uh, or what have you. But uh, Oh, yeah, and I, I don't know I don't know much about a lot of them. Like, there's a few of them that I know about that I've had limited experience with, and I, I can say that some people, like, who have more experience might have preferences, you know, like, but honestly, I for me seeing a little bit getting a glimpse of what they do i have tremendous respect for all of them um all of these places are doing a really really difficult job and like i commend all of them it's it's amazing what they do and it's amazing that the passion that they have to help people because for you for any person to go into a career like that where you're working on every single day-to-day basis you're working with people who have absolutely hit rock bottom. You're dealing with people who are at their worst, who are angry or depressed or, you know, anxious. And there's all these things. It's, uh, you really have to care about people to, to just be able to do that. And so I, yeah, I might tip my hat to every single person who works in a crisis stabilization unit anywhere. It's, it's a difficult job and it's, it's amazing that these people are there doing what they do. Yeah. I would definitely have to second the notion. I've worked in a few CSUs, uh, in my lifetime and uh, uh, mostly as a tech not really as a therapist or a doctor obviously but uh, as a tech uh, just that along those lines because the tech is probably the tech and the nurse is probably going to spend the most time with the clients you know so it's a hard job regardless of which one whether they're good or bad oh yeah 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 they have a hard job they get a bad rep and I'm not going to sit up here and say that I like every last CSU that you can actually walk through the doors in because uh, some facilities do a great job in trying to prepare the client to go back out the door. And some do a horrible job at and trying to prepare the client to go back out the door. You know, so it really just depends on the individual relationship you have when you come through the door with the tech, with the nurse, with the doctor, you know, and with the therapist to try to return and go back, you know, home. Uh, the discharge planner, they have a they have an even more hard job because most people don't think about the discharge planner when you go into the CSU. But that yeah. person has to try to get this client, if they can't return home, they got to find suitable uh, placement for this particular person. And sometimes that's harder than the treatment itself because in some essence the treatment is easier than the actual discharge because sometimes discharge can reignite a trauma or could reignite a particular trigger for a person mm-hmm. you know so the discharge planner is not the person that's equipped 
with the necessary skill to say, okay, well, I'm going to handle this particular person doing their trauma and talk them through this discharge. A lot of times, some of the better CSUs use uh, therapists uh, or a person that's uh, with the social work background that we have to try to get them out, you know, to wherever their placement is. You know, so yeah. um, the discharge plan is a person that people should really uh, think about when they think about, you know, the CSUs and things of this nature. Uh, also, um, uh, we, we obviously we've covered ourselves, tried to intro ourselves a, uh, a great deal. Uh, I think you'll learn a lot more about me and Ken. Clearly, you'll learn that me and Ken like to talk. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have a problem with that. The two of us together, yeah, we could we could probably sit here for hours and talk. So that's that's yeah. not going to be an issue, I don't think. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk for hours. Uh, uh, Ken has a Father Day celebration that he probably needs to get back and be attentive to. I don't have any kids, yep. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to drive his time. But we wanted to introduce ourselves. Uh, we wanted to introduce you guys to Classroom 21. And like Ken says, you know, we have classmates, but I'm going to call everybody that comes in through the doors a classmate, you know, because we're in the classroom. And just like any other classroom, we want to learn as much as we possibly can. So once you're in the classroom, take a seat and hopefully we all learn something together. Uh, or as you, or as you know, uh, our professors, you know, a couple of them like to say, you know, we refer to each other as colleagues, even yeah. though we're uh, we haven't received our, our license yet. We're not, you know, we're not licensed professionals yet. We are colleagues, as in, you know, we all are working together toward common goals. And uh, so, yeah, I think that'd be acceptable. Also, we can be classmates or colleagues in the situation. Well, however you want to put it, but once you're in the classroom, sit down, take a seat, and let's and let's have the conversation. <laughs> once you come in sit down take a seat and let's have the conversation whatever that conversation may be uh Uh, we'll be learning too yeah we so we have some yeah we have some experts we're going to be bringing in hopefully and uh and be able to learn a good bit from them and i'm really looking forward to that and hopefully we can we can dig into some tough topics and and have some really good discussions and and learn a whole lot process and before i forget about this before we go I just want to wish a happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. So it is uh, for sure. Yeah, it's Father's Day, uh, June sixteenth, two thousand nineteen. Uh, the first episode of the Classroom Twenty One pod- podcast here on Father's Day. Is that here on Father's Day? I didn't even think about that. It really is. That's that's uh, an epic thing. There, I do want yep. to uh, to uh, tell everybody as well uh, as the episodes do air. Uh, There'll be links uh, through Facebook, uh, the links through Instagram, also links through, uh, we uh, just started to talk to this, uh, to uh, Epic Television. Uh, they're out of uh, Atlanta, but they cover Atlanta, Macon, uh, pretty much all of Georgia. And some episodes will absolutely uh, be linked through them. So uh, there'll be plenty of ways to find uh, Classroom 21 Nobody needs to get lost in finding Classroom 21. So uh, we will put up links as many places as we possibly can. We'll let you guys know about all that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, this episode will be published. It should be available Monday morning uh, through Apple uh, iTunes. I think that's what it's called. Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. and Spotify. 
uh, in the meantime, if you want to locate either one of us, uh, I will give you uh, my social media, which is pretty much just my Facebook right now. It's Antonio Clyde. I'm on Facebook. If you want to try to find me, send me a message or whatever you like to do. Uh, you can definitely send that through uh, the messenger, and I will respond back with you. Uh, Ken, do you got any way for the people? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, people can contact me through Facebook. Um, I have used my full name on Facebook. It's Kenneth Wayne O'Bara. My last name is O apostrophe capital B as in boy A R A. So Kenneth Wayne O'Bara on Facebook. Um, you can also you can find me on. Uh, on Twitter at Kenny O'Bara 2112 K-E-N-N-Y-O-B-A-R-A 2112 there's no apostrophe there and um, yeah and I so we're planning uh, on doing one we're going to try to do one every week right we're going to try to do a weekly podcast have an episode every week and see how that goes right every week and you guys will be introduced to our circle that we have these crazy conversations with so uh, hopefully the circle will get a little bit more bigger and then you'll get to see the conversation get a little bit more uh, riled up. <laughs> we were taking today because today was the, the first episode and we just want to introduce ourselves everybody get used to us. So this is Classroom 21. Uh, my name, Antonio uh, Ken, and hope you guys uh, learned a little bit more about us and a little bit more about the podcast. We are social work students, and we will be trying to bring as much information that we can possibly bring with as far as therapy, as far as our very own expertise, as far as uh, how it pertains to social media, your life, or whatever, that we can actually tackle the conversation. We'll ask the hard questions, and hopefully we'll come up with some even more, uh, I wouldn't say hard answers, but even more uh, exotic answers. And like Ian said, we will have plenty of experts uh, to come through whether they agree with us or not is not the issue the issue is that you get the information mm-hmm. alright yeah because yeah I'm all about yeah all about the uh, um, open civil discussion um, I know with the, with the, the current climate the way it is the way people are sometimes it's uh, I'm passionate about being able to talk to people and, and being respectful of other people's uh, point of view if I disagree um, there might be people I disagree with on certain things, and that's okay. Let's see, we can we don't always have to agree on every. I know even you and I have talked. I know there are you know there are a few little things that you and I don't agree one hundred percent on, but that's that's okay. You know we, uh, uh, I think all of us, as long as we we have a passion for for people and uh, we care about people and we want to try to help people and want to try to better ourselves and um, be able to put ourselves in a better position to help others. I think that for me, that's, what's really important. That's what I'm passionate about. All right. Well, I think that's no, no better way to wrap it up than just wrapping it up on passion. Uh, that's passion it. Without, <laughs> uh, yeah. Passion without purpose is pointless. And I think that's a great way to wrap up the first episode of wrapping it up on passion. Uh, so that'll be, that'll conclude our uh, episode at this particular point. So, uh, again, reach out to us on social media. If uh, not social media, then just follow the podcast, Classroom 21. All right. All right. Enjoyed it, my brother. We'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right, man. All right. <laughs>